0: DarkCast Network. Welcome to the dark side of podcasts. The files are located on the second floor at the end of a long hallway. The fluorescent lights above flicker on and off. Open the door on the right. In the bottom drawer of a file cabinet... There it is, a folder labeled with three words that are poured onto stories stories of history, stories of people, stories of death. I'm Luke Poling, and this is Famous Last Words. Usually the words civil rights movement conjures up visions of the 1960s, images of bus strikes, of marches and rallies. But the fight for civil rights began long before then. One of the earlier leaders was a woman named C.J. Walker. And in her life, she showed dedication, determination, and drive, to rise high and far away from her meager beginnings. Her story is one that should be better known. Sarah Breedlove was born December 23, 1867, on the Madison Parish Plantation, located near Delta, Louisiana. Sarah was the first of her five siblings to be born free, with the Emancipation Proclamation being signed only four years before her birth. Her formal education lasted only three months. Orphaned by the age of seven, Sarah moved to Vicksburg, Mississippi at ten, taking work as a domestic servant. She lived with her sister, Lavinia, and her brother-in-law, Jesse Powell. Sarah married for the first time at age 12, mostly to escape abuse from Jesse. At age 15, she gave birth to her first and only child, a daughter she named Layla. Unfortunately, her husband died shortly after their daughter was born. It was while she was living in St. Louis with her young family that Sarah had an important realization. The women who were widely respected and successful all had long, flowing, beautiful hair. Sarah had always suffered from skin problems. She had dandruff and was also bald in some spots on her head from the harsh chemicals she used to bathe with. Not that she could afford to do that all that frequently. Sarah moved to Denver, Colorado, and shortly thereafter married Charles Joseph Walker, a newspaper advertising salesman. Now going by Madame C.J. Walker, Sarah sold Annie Malone beauty products door-to-door. The Annie Malone line of products were specifically designed for African-Americans, clearly an underserved and lucrative market. Annie Malone herself is considered one of the first African-American millionaires. Sarah's decision to go by her husband's name and the adoption of Madame, which came from women in the French beauty industry, was perhaps a way for Sarah, sorry, CJ, to restart things and to try again. With Charles as both her husband and business partner, Madame Walker started experimenting on her own recipe for quality hair care. Quickly, CJ resigned from Annie Malone and struck out on her own, opening a beauty parlor and selling her own products. She also focused heavily on advertising local newspapers. As the business grew, she took to the road, seeing the south and northeast cities of the U.S. as the best places to market her new hair care products. She traveled from small town to small town. Everywhere she went, she followed the same routine. Connect with local church leaders, do some demonstrations, hold classes to train agents, and as they say in the industry, rinse and repeat. She did this all across the country, with Alayla in Denver handling the orders coming in from what they called Walker agents, now located all over the country. In 1910, business was booming. CJ was making around $150,000 a year in today's money. She moved the business to Indianapolis, Illinois, building offices, a factory, and a laboratory, and all the while as the company grew, CJ made sure to keep to her original plan of helping others. She tried as much as possible to hire the women in prominent positions in helping run and manage the company. C.J. wanted to give other women a chance of economic independence, and her commission rates for those practicing which she called the Walker System were considered generous. The Walker System itself consisted of a shampoo, a pomade to help hair grow, and an iron comb. Combined with frequent brushing, Madame Walker promised soft and luxuriant hair. By 1911, the Madame C.J. Walker Company was thriving. Several thousand women had been trained as sales agents, and they were spread out all across the U.S. selling door-to-door. By 1917, the company is said to have trained over 20,000 women. Walker understood advertising, placing ads in popular African-American newspapers nationwide and putting her image on every box of her products. She also traveled a great deal, helping spread the word herself. Walker also never lost the desire to help others. In 1912, at the annual gathering of the National Negro Business League, Walker interrupted the proceedings from the floor, introducing herself by saying, I have built my own factory on my own ground, 38 by 208 feet. I employ in that factory seven people, including a bookkeeper, a stenographer, a cook, and a house girl." The next year, the group's founder, Booker T. Washington, invited C.J. to give the convention's keynote address. At the 1914 convention, Walker said, I am not merely satisfied in making money for myself, for I am endeavoring to provide employment for hundreds of the women of my race. The company grew even bigger, with Walker agents being established in Jamaica, Haiti, Costa Rica, and Panama. In 1916, only recently divorced from Charles, CJ moved to New York, hiring the first licensed black architect in the state to build her a home. Walker wanted to make a statement with her house that she had already named Villa Loaro. She built it close to the street so people could easily see it. She said that she was building the 32-room mansion to, quote, convince members of my race what a lone woman has accomplished and to inspire them to do big things. The New York Times also reported on the, quote, gasp of astonishment from Walker's neighbors when they realized the color of the new woman on the block. Frequent visitors at Villa Luaro included people like Booker T. Washington, Mary McLeod Bethune, and W.E.B. Dubois. Madame Walker left the day-to-day running of the company to the women she had trained and turned her attention to doing whatever she could do to help. Walker donated $5,000 to the NAACP, which would be around $78,000 today. At that time, it was the largest donation the group had ever received. She left almost a hundred thousand dollars to orphanages and other institutions, and her will specifically called for two thirds of any profits from the Madam C. J. Walker Company to be donated to charity. With such an altruistic outlook and a desire to help those who came behind her, is it any surprise that on May 25th, 1919, as she lay dying from kidney failure and high blood pressure, her final words were, I want to live to help my race. Famous Last Words is a production of the Professional Production Company. It is written and narrated by Luke Poling. That's me. It is produced by Heidi Heckquist and myself. Our assistant producer is Sabrina Thompson. You can find the show on Instagram and Facebook under Famous Last Words Pod, and on our website you can find full transcripts, credits, and much more, famouslastwordspod.com. Darkcast Network, the light shines brightest on our indie podcasts. Welcome to Creepy Tapas, where we do the opposite of deep dives and bring you tiny tastes of terror connected by a common ingredient. True stories to haunt and chill you and the pop culture they inspired. Or at least the movies and books that remind us of them. Join us as we descend into darkness, beginning with the lighter side of our weekly topic and wrapping with a full dark, no stars account of terror, madness, murder, and more. It's Creepy Tapas, (laughs) y'all.